Hello, listeners. Episode. Hola, nine? Internet. Hola, Internet. Yeah, nine. I appreciate all of the comments we've gotten lately. It, and I'll make the point for the just a, a tease of conversations Jay and I have off the record. If only you could hear those <laughs> before we start recording. Uh, the, uh, that, would be, that would be exciting. So Mobile World Congress. We talked about we're going to say uh, cover what were the trends from MWC, but I want to start because this is I think is it's just a a high level kind of question relative to the show. From your perspective, how, how was the show post uh, kind of pandemic era compared to pre pandemic era? Yeah, that's I, I, everybody's asking that question, and it's easy. MWC is back. Um, it's back. It's back. So. The official statistics came out. It's like 80,000 people showed up, which is about sort of 80, 90 percent of 2019. So pre-pandemic. And, okay. and it felt that way. Right. And it, this wasn't like CES where they made it crowded by you know shutting, af- shutting off half their floor space. This was Got like it. everything was packed. Everything was packed. Um, every every major vendor had was fully staffed. There were people there. It was it was bustling. There were long taxi lines it wasn't mm. quite as overcrowded as 2019 because 2019 was a mess but like mm-hmm. it was it was just it was just right it was it was bustling but not overcrowded very good vibe yeah yeah i talked to a couple of uh of the vendors of our some of our clients that were there they felt they felt like it was really productive good meetings good yeah. energy i think the reception the coverage was there so i think kind of all, all signs point back to uh to mwc Still being still being relevant, and you know maybe again in some ways more relevant than uh, than CES. Honestly, has kind of always been the uh, the the debate, but I think that's I think that's closer to to being true. Yeah, very productive. Um, any anything? I know some people had said there was a bit less automotive uh, than years past. It was a little bit more telco focus. Like, what was sort of the the takeaway on on categories that that were more prominent. Yeah, it was it was very much back to pure telecom. Yeah. None of the big auto none of the big auto OEMs were there. They you know Ford and BMW and GM had had booths in the past. None of them were there. Even Qualcomm, who used to have an F one car in their booth, didn't didn't have that. They they actually didn't have much much automotive in their booth. It was very much telecom networking wireless. Uh, very straightforward even like you know there's a, a hallway in the back hall eight which used is kind of like everything else and even that was pretty largely telecom focused mostly startups small companies but it was all sort of mm. in the telecom space it wasn't you know it, it'd been getting a little wider but that was this year it was all telecom or heavily telecom yeah i mean it's roots of the show uh, in the years that i'd gone there i always felt really heavy the the telecom so backward you know networking uh, telecom, ASICs, uh, RF infrastructure was sort of always still the the dominating parts of the show. Yep, very much so this year. Uh, I noticed there was some pockets of um, uh, whatever we loosely concern mi- mixed reality, so things around AR, VR, um, some people showing off some stuff at booths. Yeah, a, a couple of the big companies had VR goggles. Like Qualcomm had a whole bunch in their booth. Um, I, I would say there was a lot more talk about the metaverse than there were actual products on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. sh- shocking, right? Because 
<laughs> Shocking. Like all the big operators and, and the equipment vendors, they made it a point to talk about the metaverse. Right. Uh, but I, I, th- that wasn't really reflected in the reality on the, on the floor because for, for good reason. Like it's sort of pretty distant. So yeah. um, I, it, it was, it was, uh, it, it, there wasn't, it was, it, like I said, it was, it was very, a lot more tangible stuff, which, you know, it was a fair number of chip makers, um, a lot of, you know, obviously the big equipment makers, a lot of the antennas and remote or radio unit type companies making weird kinds of radios and fixtures and enclosures, that kind of stuff. Lots and lots of telecom software, billing, management, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, this is, and, and it's funny because this is kind of, uh, to a lot of people, this is kind of dull, boring stuff. Right. Um, but it's just the sort of meat and bones, bread and butter of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. What What were some, I know you, you had tweeted something and I, I heard a little bit about this too. There was some, at least one vendor or several trying to get attention saying we've got we've got 6g coming and but you know the, the challenge is and even in this part right it, with telco and, and infrastructure just how do you get above that noise obviously there was a lot of of oran and vran talk and that segment itself is super interesting even though boring but um what, what, what were some of those things that you saw people were trying to cut above the noise with that even if they were gimmicks like just throw out the what were people trying to do Yeah, I mean, there there are certain category of companies who who just sort of were maybe looking for. There's always going to be people who are looking for the next big thing, the next exciting thing, and uh, a couple of them threw out six G. But but honestly, not many people did. I thought it was going to be much worse than it actually was. Um, mm. I, I, it wasn't a big news show. It wasn't you know. It, People don't launch new products at conferences anymore. But even beyond that, there weren't a lot of big, huge announcements. It was a lot more very staid product roadmap stuff. Um, mm. so someone was talking to me where on the first day that they were joking. They said, it says a lot about the show that the biggest news, the thing that everyone's talking about on day one is a logo. Because on Sunday, right before the show, Nokia unveiled their new logo. Right. Which... which um, uh, you know, everybody always likes to hate on new logos. This one is uh, different. Right. Um, it is very colorful. It is uh, maybe missing a few parts of letters. Yeah. Uh, but like, that they, they, kind of sums it up. Like there wasn't like some hot new announcement or hot partnership. It was Nokia's logo that people were talking about. Yeah. Biz- it's, I mean, it's always been... A, a, a good business show when it comes to the, the key categories. Um, in, in many ways, like I think people, people forget that CES is really a, a retail show where, you know, retailers come to look at what they're going to buy. That's the most productive part of the, of the show. But yeah, it's, it seemed like it was a lot of business. Like I said, I saw a lot of the networking um, announcements, um, stuff around ne- like next generation switches, optical stuff in the data center, obviously VRAN, ORAN, um, types of things. Um, I, I, IP stuff. It's actually, it's it's interesting. Like I think at some point in time, it would be good to do a discussion on just the landscape around, uh, semiconductor IP and licensing, because I, I sort of figure like people forget that there's a competitive dynamic there when it comes to not just telecoms, but, other other parts of um, of standard essential patents where 
to some degree there is a Qualcomm would say there is not, but to some degree there is a competitive uh, dynamic of who do you get licenses from, right? You can get licenses from Ericsson, you can get licenses from Samsung and from Nokia and obviously Qualcomm, but there's like a competitive area of who has which IP and it's just an interesting dynamic that, that kind of flies under the radar from an enabling technology standpoint, but some of that stuff does happen at, at, at Mobile World Congress. Yeah, I, I agree. We should definitely do an episode on IP because I think in, in Semi's land, that's going to be really, really important. It's going to get more and more important. In in wireless land, I, there, it has been developing. Um, like obviously, Qualcomm has this massive licensing business, and after get their clock cleaned by Qualcomm so many times in court, Ericsson decided you know if you can't beat them, join them, and so they've built right. a very strong license, yep. IP licensing business over the years. I th- I think the more recently the news has been that both Nokia and and Huawei have also gone down that path. Right. They both have very sizable licensing businesses. Uh, and um, th- that was, I, I talked to a few people about that. Um, you know, it's, that's a, it's, a, it's a force now, and I think there'll be more people doing it. And, and there's yeah. a lot of other interest, like there are a lot of other companies that sort of just do licensing. Like InterDigital was there, they're there every year. It's not a company that's well known out of wireless, but all they do is, is IP licensing. And Siva, I, I had a chance to catch up with the guys at Stevo who do I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're not just in telecom. They're all over Bluetooth and growing in automotive and other areas. That's another, that's a really interesting company um, in terms of their breadth of business. Yep. But, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I caught, I, I, it's just because I was looking for it. I caught some of the um, the IP discussions from Ericsson and, and Nokia, which, which sort of made me think about it, right? But But it's, like I said, it's interesting when you think about it is, well, one, those licenses expire, whatever agreement you have with any number of those companies, they expire. And so when you're up for relicensing, you start saying, all right, well, let me shop around. Let me see who has what portfolio. So it is an interesting enabler of of the semis industry as a whole. And there is a lot to telecom, um, you know, behind that, which, which I think was interesting. And, you know, and, and IoT, right, comes in another part of this. There's going to be IP that you're going to need. If you're going more deep into IP and you're going to have to get that from somebody. And so there's these companies competing with IP portfolios that I think is, is really interesting. Yeah, and I think, I think we're going to start hearing more about IP in the, once, we, once we get a little bit further, uh, closer to 6G. Because right? I think for 5G, the patent landscape is pretty straightforward. I think, though, we're going to, you know, every time there's a G, we have to reassess that. And so... We're going to be talking about IP in mobile a lot in a few years. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Was the, on the IoT front? Was there anything else there that sort of caught your mind? I know. Um, I know NXP had a few announcements. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain on kind of anything. I mean, it, I know it didn't get a ton of attention, but there was some embedded embedded parts that came out at the show. I'm curious if you saw anything. No, I, I wouldn't say anything really jumped out at me. Everybody talked about well. I, Everybody has stuff there, but it's it's. I think there's a little bit of IoT fatigue going on in the industry. It's we've been pushing on it for so long, and it, there's there's progress, but it's it's so fragmented. Um, it's you know it's still good business, but it's hard to wrap a good coherent narrative around it if you want to present at a trade show. And so it's it's lots of incremental little things. Uh, I, I think sort of stepping away from IoT more broadly. There, there, I did notice a very distinct trend towards verticalization, where all the big operators, all the big equipment vendors, all had, you know, multiple industry-specific displays in their in their booths, mm. 
right? Uh, you know, there's an automotive and an industrial and a financial. Um, and everybody was talking a lot more about partnerships and working together, right? And I, I think that's going to be a, a sort of another important trend that sort of dovetails into customization we're seeing in semis land, where in order to keep things moving and sort of extend the network, we're going to have to start looking more at custom tailored solutions for in, in specific industries. And yeah. IoT will be a part of that, but it's, it's broader. It sort of includes private networks and all kinds of other things. It is, but the problem is it's very, it's very fragmented and talking about it coherently. Like I walked into the, the Huawei booth. I spent a lot of time there and, and they had, you know, every industry imaginable. They had sort of specific solutions package for that industry. Um, and I think, I think Nokia and Ericsson weren't too, were, were pretty similar to that as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it, it, it goes back to a lot of the verticalization conversations we've happened, but it also sort of speaks to, you know, I know, um, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but the increasing semi-custom uh, businesses of places like Marvell and, and, and Broadcom, where in some of these areas, they're starting to do a little bit more semi-custom work and, and that's creeping into a small, small but growing percentage of 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 some of their overall efforts because I think it just ties to again that need to differentiate and, and verticalize. But but what's interesting as, as I think about this too is when you think about all these semiconductor companies trying to play in all of these different areas, it actually makes for some interesting analysis of their um, of their design architectures because you need those design architecture or at least the foundation of those to be somewhat scalable or optimizable in different areas so you don't have to have eight different architectures you can have one that you tweak and tune for different areas which I think is an interesting way to think about however their their fundamental architecture is for um, for chips to go wide and not have to be super you know what I mean because you just can't have too many verticalized offerings yeah, you you know what we call that? We call that the analog what? chip business. We call it the analog yeah, chip analog business. Because it's, it's, it's right. The digital guys are like, oh, we have to customize things, and the analog guys are like, what are you talking about? That's how we run our business for fifty years. It was, as you know, if somebody made this point, I I, I wanted to should have re- retweeted it, but the comment section was a little heavy. Where um, you know TI has a bigger market cap than Intel and Qualcomm and like a host of other people, and you're just like analog baby, <laughs> they've been here all all along. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, um, I think in, in in telco land, like this idea of partnerships, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky because it's very clear now that the operators and the big equipment vendors really don't have the ability to sell to the enterprise. Hmm. Like they've been trying for 10 years and they really haven't gotten anywhere. And so it was notable this time, every, every one of them that was talking about the enterprise, like, and, and not just the vendors, but also the GSMA, GSMA itself launched a, an API, a telco API. Hmm. All of them included the cloud service providers, the public cloud service providers in their partnership announcements, which is... I think this is the first time the GSMA has done something so that big explicitly with, with the cloud, the cloud guys, and hmm. that's important because it sort of recognizes reality. Um, but it also leaves open the question of, like, if I'm Nokia and I'm going to partner with Microsoft to give an enterprise solution, well, well, what do we really need, you know, Nokia for? 
right? We just, you know, they're going to give us some radios. That's it. Like the, the role that that leaves the, the equipment providers ends up being pretty small. They end up looking like systems integrators or sort of specialty right. niche vendors. Well, and so you, I think, I think that, I, do, I think do, that, do, I, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, do, do you think that that, so is the, is the implications for their more one that there's an element of this around, you know, infrastructure and to some degree that 5G is kicking off around public versus private networks. Cause I know like Amazon's telco business, which doesn't really public, but they've got a huge, huge network infrastructure side, the telco business. A lot of this looks at, you know, what's going on between public and private rollouts, scalable, um, you know, versions of those rollouts where again, they're, it's it's a it's a sporting event or something, right? And a shifting capacity to areas of of density based on on high volume. So I wonder how much of that is the flexibility, I guess, of five G and the architecture to kind of tackle more pockets of of telco than there was before before the five G area era. Uh, well, I think just thinking back, telco what were the telcos were already big customers of Amazon and Azure five or six years ago. I'm trying to, I think it was like five years ago, Verizon and AT&T were already doing a billion dollars of business with Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, mostly that's their corporate IT networks, not their production right. networks. Right. And I, I think what's happening now is we're, we're starting to see a lot of people, a lot of the telcos start thinking about using the cloud to run their core network as well. And that, that's a big, that was a, I, I think there's some important mm. announcements around that. And yeah, you, you, te- you really need 5G to, some of the, the changes, 5G brought a lot of changes to the core network that facilitated that. It probably could have had it, any, it probably would have happened anyway, but 5G makes it easier uh, on, on the core side. Uh, and I know that, you know, Microsoft and Amazon and or AWS and Google Cloud all had pretty sizable booths. I mean, Microsoft booth was massive. Right. Right, right at the sort of heart of the show, and they they've launched a whole bunch of interesting things, uh, sort of massive platforms running people's core networks, and um, it, I, I don't know. I, I think that that this to me is the really interesting trend. I mean, this is probably the most important trend in telecom uh, or in, in communications more broadly. Is to what degree the operators embrace public cloud for their core network mm. um they're right now they're very very wary of it because they know it's 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 going to be a trap they're going to go in and they're going to get stuck there um uh, but it's also has the you know there's a pretty compelling case for moving there like microsoft published some figures saying you know move to our platform we will save you 40 percent of your operating costs and if if that's true and i haven't gone through all their math yet but if that's true like you, you can't avoid that right you because your competitors will take that and they'll outcompete you so i think it's it's very it, i mean the next few years will be a pretty important transition if it takes place the operators to move on to the public cloud hmm that's a very interesting observation actually so so you so you did notice then the all, so all the public cloud companies were there then with some sort of so gcp was there, um, I know Amazon was, Microsoft, and, and again, at a much bigger presence than you'd seen a few years ago? Uh, yeah, Microsoft's always had a big booth at Mobile World Congress. I would say this year, the, the share of that large booth that was dedicated to cloud was, I mean, it was most of the booth was cloud-related topics. 
Um, Amazon, I think, just had private meeting rooms. Google had a fairly small okay. booth. I mean, I mean, re- really, this is this is down to AWS and Azure. I, you know, from what yeah. I can tell, I like in all all this, you know, GCP is kind of third place. What's what's really interesting, I think, is that micro, we always sort of lump Azure and AWS together, but their approach to telco cloud is actually pretty different. Amazon is there just doing what AWS always does. Like here, here's, you know, a few hundred APIs. Uh, if you want, we'll help you, we'll, you know, we'll give you a guided tour through some of them, but you can pick and choose what you want. And Microsoft is much more going about the approach of like, here, here's a whole bundled set of services. Here's a bundled API right. platform that you can use to write your own code. Right. Here's a whole, you know, telco in a box almost. Right. And, and, you know, the, it's very tempting because the big, I think the, the big part of the problem that telcos have with the cloud is that it's very complicated. Like everybody has a problem with the cloud. There's so many things to do. It's complicated. If Microsoft is there to actually do all of that for you and abstract away the sure. nitty gritty complexity of configuration, that becomes even more tempting. So, I, I know this, that we're, we're getting deep in the weeds of, of wireless land, but I'm curious if that trend uh, perhaps favors more of these, you know, MVNO approaches that you're seeing from some smaller. I mean, Cricket's an example, right? There's others where, you know, again, those are tough businesses, but obviously they're expensive, right? And so if you can cut cut your costs and or leverage growth opportunities, I wonder if if we kind of get back into the how much of an opportunity is there for kind of these smaller slice players. Um, in an era where they embraced more more public cloud for operations, so I'll, I'll take it a step further. I, I, you know, if you go far enough, if you think this through all the way, what are the telcos? Right, what's left for the for the big telcos? Never mind tiny MVNOs, but what's left for the major major telcos? Right, they're they're just going to be you know, at some point they could just license their spectrum to Microsoft and let Microsoft do all the work. Right, so uh, you know. We're starting to blur the distinction of what an MVNO right. is. Right. Right. The, re- the only thing that really matters here, the only core competitive barrier to entry is spectrum. And you know how you how you manipulate that spectrum, how you operate on that spectrum, all of that's changing. The mechanics of how you operate on the spectrum are changing pretty radically. Right. Well, and that's why I've always thought, like, just you know, we haven't seen a ton of of private, um, you know, five G networks start to happen. But but I've always thought, you know, there is there is upside for someone in operations to continue to develop out for um, you know corporate campuses, cities, whatever, right? Some some form of of private five G network that brings the advantages of having a more secure, perhaps more robust, guaranteed QoS service for, again, a smaller pocket of people. We haven't seen that get ignited yet, but it's interesting. Again, right, what, what does, is that AT&T or Verizon's business or O's or is that Microsoft's, right, or Amazon? I think that's an interesting conversation about how they build out those, those opportunities. So right before, like a week or two before MWC, an AT&T executive said publicly that, it's it's too early for private networks. It's not going to be real business, which makes me think that now is the exact time to be. Now it's actually becoming a real business. Now's the time to invest. AT and T says it's over, so let's 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 get in. No, I, I there is a lot of talk about private networks. 
I, I met a few startups. Um, there's a company called GXC down in Austin. Like, this small company, and they're doing really well setting up private networks. Um, and I think that's the right scale. It's, I think the, the private network opportunity right now is too small for somebody like AT&T size. But it's perfect sure, for a well-run startup that can just go, have a very well-thought-out strategy and just execute to that. Um, there's because there, there's compelling there's a compelling case for it if you're the right sort of enterprise or institution and that's not it's not a huge massive market like your you know your local mom and pop bodega is not going to ever have any need for a private network um, right. but there are probably a few thousand you know enterprises in this world with a few hundred thousand sites that could use it yeah um Circling back to more specifics on semis, did you see any any conversations or more conversations around Risk Five there? I know it's not not really a huge telco play ish, but I'm just curious if if there were people talking up Risk Five or showing Risk Five as it oh, relates you, you to bet. you bet okay. you bet lots of people talking about it. There were um, there there was a, a as you might imagine, there's a fair amount of. Um, Discomfort around ARM suing one of its biggest licensees, uh, and a lot of discomfort around ARM's price increases and attempts to change the model. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I won't get into all the details, but certainly everybody is is very aware of Risk Five and taking a look at it in some sh- way, shape, or form. I'm curious what. You know, we we've talked about Risk Five in some of these other pockets, but never, uh, never to like network infrastructure. Is there, is there some plays there that um, that Risk Five can play in in some of the the different designs for network architecture? So, all right. So, talk about network architecture. I think um, there's a there's a fair amount going on in that space, somewhat separate from ARM, just more broadly. Right, we, we talked. We, you touched. You mentioned before ORAN, like the Open RAN initiative, which is trying to decouple the software and the hardware of, yeah. of the radio access network, or the access layer, and and that's that's actually a pretty contentious space right now. There's a lot of that was probably the most interesting semi story coming out of MWC was okay. who's going to provide the silicon for the yeah. the radio units and the, the, the distributed units that go into those kinds of networks and. I would say there's there's a few approaches. Open RAN itself is very contentious, like, and nobody nobody knows what's going to happen with it. I asked everybody I spoke to what they thought was going to happen with Open RAN, and like, n- nobody gave me this uh, the same answer as anyone else. I think it will probably be some kind of muddled hybrid. We'll get some of it, but not all of it, kind of thing. But there will be some changes to the network as a result of it, and. We're going to see a lot more distributed, like sort of a new architecture for the base station, I guess is the way to think about it. Sure, right. And 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 there the fight is between um, Intel, who did more than anyone to sort of contribute to the initial growth of Open RAN. They really supported it heavily and got it to where it is now. On the notion that all these new ba- Open RAN base stations would run software on commodity right. servers running right. Xeon CPUs. The, then there's Marvell who is uh, doing a lot of the work for, um, like Nokia has a card running on Marvell, or a few other people doing Marvell Silicon. And then there's Qualcomm, who has a chip out there. And I actually spent the first day of the show just going, walking back and forth between their three booths, comparing notes. 
And, uh, you know, for those who care, I think Qualcomm has a really good chip. It's a little bit smaller than everyone else's. It's very power efficient. Uh, Marvell is probably the market share leader in the space right now in terms of actual deployments. Um, and and they're the most flexible in terms of, like, you want a chip that does half of Open RAN, we'll do that. If you want, you know, no Open RAN, we'll do that. It's, it's Marvell. They're being very flexible. Hmm. And then there's Intel, who's talked the most about it, but um, I think they're they're in a very constrained position. They only have one customer. Um, their, their architecture, like everyone else is using accelerator cards, and they've actually right. built the features into into a CPU, which CPUs, is yeah, which is a it's a very elegant solution, but it's probably overkill because you don't really need a CPU in a lot of these deployments, right? So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not looking looking great for Intel in that space. And then and there's even a startup yeah. I found a company called called PicoCom out of the UK, who had, did something similar in in three G and four G, with a different company but same team. And they have a they have an interesting set of products as well. I mean, it's a big market. There's room for startups here too. Sure. Um, but I think I, it feels to me like at this point it's a fight between uh, Marvell slash internal silicon mm. and Qualcomm. Uh, and the I think the the question I have is Qualcomm has been in the infrastructure market before, two G, three G, four G. They always came into the to do infrastructure products early in the in the in the G and then they kind of lost interest. And so my question now is are they going to stick around in, yeah. in in this market? And I think it comes down to how big the volume is. Like like these are pretty small volume. Like you you know, be right. a few million small cells built or, or micro base stations or whatever we're gonna call them. There'll only be a few million of them built in the world, right? And that's that's small volume for Qualcomm. Yeah. Um if if we have open RAN, if things are really don't have to be custom for everybody that starts to be a sizable market it's big enough for qualcomm's interest if it's very fragmented and everybody uses a different version of open ran or no open ran at all i i I have to wonder if that becomes less interesting to qualcomm and they they walk away from that market yeah they insisted that they were they were here to they they insisted that they're here to stay so i want to you know that's that's their their line but back of my head i'm wondering yeah, I mean, I, I, part of me when I look at the two of two sides of this is just how much does this open up um, opportunity and additional capacity, especially for parts related to unlicensed spectrum and kind of where where that goes. Um, but you know, there's there's increased network demands when you start to you know down the road, right? Have cars running around being connected or have people more connected devices per person. And so how kind of this shakes itself out from an infrastructure standpoint relative to right the two sides of those licensed, unlicensed spectrums, and then more importantly, having capacity that's flexible when you've got more, more people and more things with connected devices. It's not, a, it's not a problem we have now, but it's an infrastructure problem we're going to have at some point. And so building that out and the underlying, um, you know, roadmaps both with those chips and that IP, I think is interesting to track knowing the the problem that I think we're going to be up against in terms of just sheer capacity. Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a fair point. Um, there is a sort of an underlying question about who's going to be providing that equipment, uh, right? Right. OpenRAN itself is a, th- is a threat to Nokia and Ericsson's core business. And they they are 
likely to co-opt it, not kill it, but co-opt it and dilute it. Um, but that doesn't actually solve the underlying problem. And I, I don't right. know how we, we get there. Um, right. I mean, it, putting in, putting in more base stations is very problematic, right? Everywhere in the world. It's, nobody wants another cell tower or box on the side of the building. So it's all this takes, takes time. And I, I suspect, um, I, I do not think we're going to have a radical change to how we build these networks. I don't think we're going to go to this mm. radical new world where everything's open. Um, You're right. But I, I think that the, I, th- I think we'll, we're just going to we'll do what we've been doing for 30 years. We're just going to muddle through. Right. And yeah, the first, somebody Did, will launch uh, a new car service, a new car service and it'll, it'll, you know, crash every six months. Oh gosh. Sort it out. Not the car, um, the network. Relative to perhaps Qualcomm more than anybody else in the in the chipset side, did you see any any more conversations around sort of the global build out of millimeter wave, or is that just not gonna uh, not gonna happen? Even I think, even Qualcomm and, even, <laughs> even Qualcomm stopped stopped talking about it. All right. Right. So it's my, my so joke, it's US ish. It's you know my my joke is that millimeter wave will take so long to arrive we're going to call it six G. And people people used to like think I was serious and get a little offended by that and now everybody realizes the you know every, everybody I spoke to said yeah maybe that's right it's not happening yeah 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 interesting interesting um, what. Uh, so on the, I'm curious on the, uh, I, I, the 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 AR VR front. Was there any? I know you said it was sort of small, but I know sometimes there's more that some of the Chinese vendors, some of the um, you know pockets of the non-obvious. Was there any more of those those type booths of? Uh, Call it the not the non obvious players just trying to show off something interesting. So I, I would say there 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 was one company that I met that actually for the first time I thought was something that was interesting about AR, right? Because there's two there's two big problems in AR. One is getting the optics to work, right, and getting the screens bright enough and dense enough and not burning holes in our retinas. That one's still a work in progress. The other problem is power. Right, this big. If you can have glasses on your face, like, and that are doing processing, it's going to need a lot of ba- battery. But where do you where do you put it without having really ugly glasses? And so I, f- I met a company called Ixana, I X A N A, uh, that uh, comes out of Indiana, out of Purdue, and they're like they just decloaked, like they just unstealth, and what they they do wireless transmission, um, basically through the body. Okay. Right? And they had a working demo, and the basic idea is you your your glasses, your AR glasses, don't need to have a processor. The processing is done in your phone, which is in your pocket, and then is wirelessly wirelessly transmitted through your body to the glasses. Right. So it's much 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 lower power. It's a hundred times less power than Bluetooth. And so now you don't need those giant batteries on the glasses. You just need enough to, to power the light projection. And you know, I mean, this is hmm. this is. I think they're like it's like ten or twenty people. It's a tiny little company. They just decloaked. They had a working demo in the booth that was interesting enough. Um, so, and I have no idea about the health side of this. Like, they have a long way to go. 
but this is the first company I've seen in a long time that made me think that AR could actually happen because it solves one okay. of those two fundamental problems. So hmm. it's worth it's worth taking a look at them. Do you know what chipset they were running? And, and I ask just because an interesting I, – I knew this roughly, but I just found it interesting that virtually every uh, VR, AR, mixed reality headsets running uh, a version of a Qualcomm product. And so they kind of have a – they have the market locked up. I'm, just, I'm curious. I'm always curious what chips they're running. Was it also Qualcomm's or something else? No, no, no. This is their, this is their own chip. It's their own, it's their own standard because right? it's not okay. even Bluetooth. It's their own, it's, I think it's called YR. W I R, um, but it's their own. It's their own chip. It's their own standard. Oh, that's interesting, right? And yeah, I mean, there was there was another okay. interesting company too uh, on the on the IoT ish side of things called Williot. Um, and like w- w- Williot is, uh, they make they make Bluetooth tags that cost like ten cents, like really really okay. cheap, and okay. they're they're. They're passive, and they just basically do energy harvesting from the ambient network, where they just respond when they get a signal, and they, the signal provides enough power to transmit back that kind of stuff. And so you're hmm. at you know t- at ten cents, it's it's not quite cheap enough to put one of these tags on every can of soda, but it is right. cheap enough to put on every case of soda. Okay. So and and I, I've known them for a long time. They're they're based in San Diego. They they have the mixed blessing of having gotten a lot of money from. Uh, SoftBank, um, but they're it's definitely it's it's cool stuff. Like it's just a, like I, I have it somewhere. It's like just a sticker you can put on anything, and then you you now hmm. have a Bluetooth tag. I mean, I I had seen some of those. They're not they're not printable RFID, but I had seen something similar to that. Mass scalable RFID tags for again retail was sort of their their bigger their bigger play. That that stuff was always interesting about how cheaply and efficiently you can scale process or, or some form of a tag or a sensor that can be tracked, even if its lifespan's really, really small, but point being, um, you know, some, some part of that is, is never really fully commercialized, but it gets interesting when you think about whether that's Bluetooth or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? RFID something. Yeah. yeah I mean, RFID has a, has a read accuracy problem. Um, so you have to have a lot of gear in your warehouse to, to get high levels of accuracy. In theory, Bluetooth is is better at that. Um, but yeah, these, I mean, Willie, I think can be, can be produced on one of those principal lines. Right. Right. It's pretty, it's, I mean, that's the only way you get them down. I mean, it's, it's 10 cents now. It's going to be pennies, even less, not, you know, in the not too distant future. Yeah. So it all, it all, we're, we're pretty close. Did you see? Did you see anything? Because I've been watching this, and this is an interesting problem. Um, I think for the broader IoT DOT range, which is um, you know how you're going to power these things for long periods of time when they sort of just sit out in the world. Was there anything? I know wireless power has been talked about. That's super hard, and to some degree, going to fry people's brains when they get in front of it. But I know there's been some things around that, or like solar-ish, like I've seen a lot, of, I've heard some rumors around um, companies doing some work in, in in chips to power solar on small devices that are out and increase their own. I'm just curious on the on the powering of some of these small sensors or, or hub type things. No, short, short answer is no. I, I did a lot of work on room scale power, wireless power a few years ago. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's just, it's, it's very hard to build out that ecosystem. 
Yeah, but there was, for sure. there was nothing at this. I mean, it, it will probably happen someday for like industrial systems. I think it makes a lot of sense. But there's nothing at this show that really touched on that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, well, any last last points or observations before we wrap on MWC? No, I mean it was it, it was a very productive show. If not, it wasn't exciting in headlines, but I I'm it was a good it was a good event. Lots of stuff going on in the industry. Yeah. Semi's still alive and well and telcos and network infrastructure and spectrum and beyond. Yes. (laughs) You know, semis and telco, they're all doing well in the broad scheme of things. And uh, Barcelona is still a wonderful city. And I had a lot of good good meals. Yeah. Good sangria. Love the food. Love the food there. Okay. Well, well, then we'll wrap there. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And talk to you next time. Goodbye.